Hello listeners, this is the next in an occasional podcast series by Robin Hansen and Katya Grace, this time on Saving the World. Uh, so, Katya, you, <laughs> you think you can save the world? Oh, I thought I was going to get in and ask you that first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, ask. So, you think you can save the world? Not really. <laughs> oh, uh, do you have any interest in saving the world at all? I have an interest, like most people, in doing better. But uh, saving the world has this connotation that somehow uh, some people are not ambitious enough, and if only you were ambitious enough in your efforts, you could do a lot more. <laughs> I think that was the topic here. Ah, and you, you disagree that uh, being more ambitious would help, or did it, you don't think it would help that much? Uh, I don't think it's the main difference between people in how much help they do is, is in intending to do more, those who do more versus those who do less. Uh, a lot of things contribute to that, but I'm not sure how much intending to do a lot <laughs> makes a difference in who does a lot. I agree that there are lots of other things that make a, make a difference as well, but I think among the set of people who don't intend to make any difference, there's probably a lot less making a difference than among the set of people who do intend to, to make a difference. Oh, I, that suggests there's a correlation, right? That yeah. people, and, and I don't think it's that... Hate. So we could talk about some of the other things that influence who makes how big a difference. All right. So one would just be effort, right? right? How much you sacrifice from other things, what opportunity costs you pay in order to do what you do. Um, then there would be some level of sort of the direction you choose, what kinds of projects you choose, or, or uh, what kinds of problems you, you try to solve. Right. Another might be sort of the how, how badly you misunderstand cause and effect in the world and, and the relationships between things that are done and outcomes. Another might be sort of the degree to which you actually pay attention to trying to figure out cause and effect as opposed to trying to do something that makes you feel good and as soon as you find something that feels good, it gets praised, that you stop and just do whatever that was. Right. Um, so, so if you did intend to uh, save the world or, or make a bigger difference or something, uh, then um, you might try to do better on these other uh, factors. If you were more ambitious, you might you might, but I, I doubt so, so people actually do. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the, the people who so talk about <laughs> more about saving the world probably don't do much more on these other criteria. <laughs> they're, they're happy to, to, to sort of feel proud of themselves for being the sort of person, ah, I don't want to just save my, own, my city, I want to save the world. And um, then they're done feeling good about themselves because they've declared they want to save the world instead of the city or something. Okay. So, so if, you, if you actually wanted to save the world instead of feel good about saying that you were to save the world, uh, do, you, do you think you can do better on these things on purpose? Uh, well, I certainly think an ideal decision theory agent who uh, <laughs> set themselves a ideal goal of uh, having a bigger effect could, in fact, have a bigger effect. But we were talking about humans, I think, oh. <laughs> and the typical actual humans who do these things. Right. So among the variation of actual humans, the ones who talk about saving the world, uh, it's not clear they actually do that much more to have a bigger effect. Maybe we should stop talking about saving the world and talk more <laughs> about like a, having, having some sort of especially large positive effect on the world. Okay, well, sure. Yes. <laughs> so there are many people who don't do that much, and some people do some things. And among the people who do some things, some talk as if they had a personal chance to have a much bigger effect than other people have, holding constant their efforts. So it's not that these people are putting in that much more time or spending that much more money or, or having that higher an opportunity cost, but they, they've just decided to tell themselves and people around them that they're going to have a big effect. So I'm somewhat skeptical that their mere intention that they're going to have a much bigger effect 
even though they're not necessarily like smarter or better informed or devoting more effort, they, their mere devotion to the idea of having a big effect is itself going to have much of a big effect. I agree with you. Uh, well, it's fun to criticize the do-gooders. I suppose I'm more interested in how to actually have a big effect, supposing that you are correct about your desiring to have a big effect. Well, I, I, to actually put some work into it. We, we can get to that, but <laughs> okay, before sure. we, get to, we that, get to that, it is worth pausing to wonder why you would think that if you were such an unusual person. Right. So, uh, so, so we, you know, we start with this large pool of actual behavior of people, things actually do, and we could talk about them and what would be useful to them. And you want to say, yes, but I want to focus on a conditional, which I agree is very unlikely, an unusual conditional of actually wanting to have a sincerely wanting to have a big effect and not having these other motivations that these other people have. Well, this is partly because, uh, say if you want to look like you want to save the world, then if, if we work out what someone should actually do if they really wanted to save the world, that should also change the behavior of the people who want to look like they should save the world. So it's relevant for them as well. Only the... in the eyes of people who also understood this. Sure. Uh, but hardly anyone's paying that much attention, so it <laughs> seems unlikely right. it's actually going to change okay, what so people do in order to appear to. talk about anything useful because no one's probably listening to us. But, uh, no, no, we, we, we could focus on a smaller <laughs> audience, perhaps. But, right. Uh, so, uh, I expect that many of our audience probably think that they would actually like to have a, to, to make a bigger difference. But do we believe them? <laughs> Well, even if we don't, <laughs> if we tell them what they should do if they wanted to do that, then... Uh... But do we believe them? That is, do people who tell themselves they want to have a much bigger impact than most other people actually want to have a much bigger impact than most? That is, are they actually more dedicated to the cause? Or what is, what is the difference that explains why they have that opinion of themselves? Why do some people think, ah, I want to have a much bigger impact than most people have? If we want to explain what what makes those like people different, what what uh, what goes different in their brains? Yes, or their history, or their culture, them. right? Okay. What causal path produces the people <laughs> who say, "Gee, other people are doing stuff, but that's not good enough for me. I'm going to do much more than they do." Now, I'd say that the simplest explanation is arrogance, right? Some okay. level of of I'm better than other people. Yeah. Other people have a small effect, but I'm better than them, so I'm going to have a big effect. Is that a problem? We were talking yeah. about. You know, what is the actual, if we talk about what the actual cause of people having this attitude, then when we condition it on people who have this attitude, mm -hmm. then if we want to think about what they're likely to actually be able to do, oh, and what the resources they have available oh, to them, and whether they'll actually go through with it, <laughs> you mean... the cause will be relevant to estimating that. Fair things. enough, fair. So we should think of particularly arrogant ways to uh, have a large impact on the world, and then it might be more successful, you think. Well, if, that the, makes sense. Yeah, if the people who think they want to have a big impact are mainly arrogant, uh, then uh, if you want to offer advice that they might take to heart, then you might want to appeal to their arrogance. Right. But you might, if, if all they actually have is arrogance, you might not think they could actually do much more than other people could if all they have is arrogance, and you might want to tell them, just try to do something. <laughs> and send them in a direction where if they aren't actually better than other people, they can still do something and, and not do much less than other people. You first might want to say, let's let's not do any harm. Let's push people in the direction of, if, if you're really lucky and really brilliant and really great, then you could do a lot more than other people. But if you aren't as great as you think, you'll at least do something that isn't so bad. But I fear that some people, there's ordinary things they could do, and they reject doing those ordinary things, like, you know, being nice to their parents or children or siblings or friends or petting the puppy as they walk along. And, and therefore, they... they, they 
lose the opportunities to do simple nice things in, in hopes of doing some grand nice things that they never end up doing, and then they're doing worse than the other people. Yeah, it's a long shot. It doesn't have to be, depending on what <laughs> kinds of things you suggest they do. What makes you think that they're, they're wrong, though? In their arrogance? No, in, in taking that long shot instead of doing the almost worthless, simple, nice things. Well, if their long shot is based on their arrogance and their calculations of the probability of success is based on their arrogance, then uh, it could well be a long shot not worth taking, which is might okay. be why other people don't take it. <laughs> if the main difference between them and other people is just their arrogance, then that's likely. If the difference is other uh, things... Assuming that other people are making the judgment correctly. Assuming, right. Yes. Agreed. But, you know, it could be that arrogance is correlated with some things. It could be that people who are especially able are more arrogant, and therefore the population of arrogant people includes some especially able people. So when we're talking to this population of arrogant people, we're also happy to selectively talk to, you know, disproportionately to some of the more capable people. Right. And, you know, that could be... I'm not very confident in that, it could be. <laughs> right. Um, I think we, we assume pretty quickly that most people are not in fact trying to make a big difference, even the ones who claim that they are, that they'd rather look like they're trying to make a big difference. It's hard to tell the difference between uh, people who are just trying to look like they make a big difference and people who just don't really know how to. Oh, I guess we could go back to the very beginning. If, you, if we t took most people who are doing something good and we say, you know, do you hope to make a really big difference, they might tell you, well, I don't expect to make a huge difference, but I hope to make a big difference. It's not like they're rejecting a big impact of whatever actions they have. And they might right. even, you know, like if we talk to people about voting, people certainly overestimate the impact of their vote, right? They may well overestimate the impact of many other things they do. Do you think they overestimate the impact of their vote? I think most people accept that there's actually no chance of making any difference by voting. Really? Well, so, a lot of people seem to think... Never had anyone claim otherwise. <laughs> well, a lot seem to think it's important that everybody votes, because if they don't vote, then bad things will happen. Hmm. They tell other people that it's important that you vote. Yeah, sorry, I have had people claim on one occasion that they sort of vote because there was a very small electorate and it was nearly a Okay, well then, that's more of an exception. Right. Yeah. So, but it could be that many, most people overestimate at their chances, so... Um, so, so the fact... Yeah, that I, I don't think people even expect to make a difference by voting. They're not doing it for those reasons at all. Okay, well... I, mean, I think I'm pretty well aware of that. <laughs> Maybe the people you've talked to are well aware, right? But a lot of other people don't seem to be that well aware. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, All right. So, uh, where, where so, okay. are we? Okay. Uh, we were talking about whether people uh, intend to make a big difference. I guess uh, intentions are strange things. Um, that they might hope to make a big difference, or uh, think right. that it would be good if they made a big difference, um, but it's almost impossible right. that it will happen. But there are some people for whom, uh, unless the thing they do seems to have substantial chance of making a difference, they aren't that interested in it. And uh, right. in fact, their main interest in doing something is the chance of it making a very big difference. And the right. small differences are downweighted in their mind. So they're choosing things on the basis of sort of the high-tail glory. Well, given that uh, everyone's pretty scope and sensitive, probably these people are still not weighting the, the really big differences as much as they actually should if they were doing it um, Ah, uh, well, <laughs> hard to tell. Yeah. I, I guess I'm not thinking I mean, of, like, some, like, we took a, a young child who, who's thinking about choosing a career and, and yeah. choosing it based on some idealistic notion. Then they might think, uh, I want to be a scientist because I want to, you know, discover a new cure for a disease. Right. And, uh, 
you know, they aren't necessarily going to think, I'm going to discover 12 new kinds of uh, biochemical pathways that <laughs> will help some small thing make an incremental understanding of the difference of some small part of an organ. They tend to imagine, I'm going to be the guy who cures cancer, right? So a child, when they're picking a career, likes to focus on this right. really high-tail scenario. I personally am going to find the cure for cancer, and that's why I want to be a scientist. That, that seems like there's a misunderstanding. Uh, well, of course, they're missing <laughs> many things, but they, are, but they are focused on a very unlikely, uh, very big impact. Right, but from the perspective of a child, most scientists go out and discover big <laughs> things like that, and then, well, so they're saying, well, I could be a scientist, and then I'd be virtually guaranteed to like make a huge <laughs> difference in this way, or I could like, um, right, so they might, but if they're like, thinking, I'm going to be a uh, athlete, reasonable. they're thinking I'm going to be a world-famous athlete, the best in my sport, or if they're thinking I'm going to be a musician, I'm going to be, you know, the musicians you see on TV or something. So, in general, when people are choosing, and if they think I'm, I'm, I'm going to be an idealist, I'm going to stop a war and be the negotiator who, you know, right makes it all happen, right? So, so in the sense, children, when they're thinking about idealistic paths for their lives, mm -hmm. tend to choose, focus on scenarios which are big impact scenarios. Yep. So, um... Uh, but I'm not sure I have it really. Well, so I'm saying it's typical in, in, in that sense to think about big impact. I'm going to make right. a big difference scenarios. Yep. For yep. children. Yeah, for children. Right. And so there's... Yeah, that a, seems the most thing I, yes. I think mostly put that down to just like when children are told about these jobs, they're not really told about all the uh, nuance and various boring sounding middleman jobs and all the scientists who don't make very much difference to anything. Right. So certainly, but one sort of source of variation among adults is amongst adults who are more childlike <laughs> and have retained more of a child's ambition and, and grandiosity and mm. hope for glory. In, in general, people seem to take uh, this. This is what I uh, hoped for when I was a child. Is like a, a good reason to still hope for it. Thank you. Oh no, yes. you've given up your childhood <laughs> dreams. You should get them back. Yes, yeah. it seems like uh, a shame to have given up a childhood dream. Because right. presumably, the usual way you give up a childhood dream is to realize you aren't as good as you hoped you were. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> so it's so admitting I mean, your lower ability to have given up a childhood dream. Really, I mean, most of giving up on a childhood dream. It seems to be because you realize the world's pretty different to how you thought it was. Like, it yes. turns out you have to do more to become an astronaut than you initially thought, right. which basically just involves like signing up to be an astronaut, and there you are. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, certainly a lot of it is that people often give up childhood dreams because they personally don't think they're good enough. So some people end up holding on to the childhood dream to be a musician because they end up to be good enough to have a chance to actually be a really good musician. Right. Or some people hold on to the childhood dream to be an athlete because they're actually good enough to actually be an athlete. Sure. And most of the other people turn it, choose, turn it down because, in part, they weren't really good athletes. Or right. But t take a kid who wants to be an athlete, and then, like, 20 years later, say he still wants to be an athlete, but he thinks he's got a much lower chance of it. He's actually a lot more arrogant and... Uh, has much higher opinion of himself when he's the adult and still actually thinks he has a chance of it. Like, his opinion of himself has gone up. So, so most of the difference in, in okay. people giving up, I think, is because they realize the world is much harder. It's true, but it's still taken subjectively as, as a, a sign of quitting and a sign of, yeah, uh, of your own lower evaluation of yourself than you might otherwise have. Yeah, but for some reason, childhood dreams are treated differently to adulthood dreams, I think. Like, if, if you're 25 and you decide to give up on your childhood dream of doing something, that seems a lot worse than if you're, like, 50 and you decide to give up on your, like, 30-year-old dream of <laughs> doing something. Uh, <laughs> Does that seem true to you? Giving up on so, adult dreams is less shameful, I guess. 
shameful, but it's like oh, tragic. Sad. Yes, I suppose there's a sense in which anything that sort of is sad for a child is just more sad. <laughs> I guess. So I think we're sort of imagining the child yeah. themselves hearing about it and yeah. being saddened by hearing the adults giving up on them. That makes sense. They're just more sympathetic to children. <laughs> yeah. Adults have pain. Well, sure, adults have pain. Hell with them. I want to go help every adult who's in pain. I'll be forever. Adults who are in pain because they're so arrogant as to think that they might become like super famous. Right, it? right. <laughs> right, okay. So, so we've, we've been playing around with what categories of people are the people who will tend to think, I'm going to make a huge difference in the world. Yeah. But I don't think it matters. I, mean, I don't think that's going to matter that much to like how you should go about it anyway. I'm well, sure it'll, it'll, matter, it'll matter to the kinds of resources you will have and the kinds of person you should expect to be and, and also the kind of motives you should expect to really have underneath your feeling that you'd like to feel good about yourself for being someone who wants to make a big difference. Yeah. So it seems like as far as we've been on that, we've basically just assumed that people are actually just trying to look good without very much evidence. Well, there, there's the usual mix, but I think, you know, uh, the usual mix okay. is that people are willing to do something, some amount of effort to, to uh, do actual good, but they also care a lot about how they look. And they probably care more about how they look than the actual good, but they do actually care some about doing actual good. We'll certainly grant that point. Okay. Uh, and so then we might ask... Um, Okay, what what to do about this? So, what one thing? Let's factor it two different ways. One way to think about how to do good, or, or to you know make do well, or, or to make great things happen, is to think about all the different directions in which you can push, and think about which are the most promising directions to push. Let us you know, Africa, right. would it be better to help Africans than people in Atlanta, or you know, better to help illness versus career failure. Or we could think about we could categorize all the different problems. Think about which kind of problem you want to help and work on. Yep. And, and that's sort of in a vector space sense, choosing a vector space direction. And then a separate issue is how far you want to try to go in any one direction. That is, do I shoot for changes that would probably only make a small difference, but at least help in a direction? Or do I try to focus on scenarios that are going to be well, big moves in a certain direction? All things equal, obviously, I'd rather make bigger moves. So you have to right. take into account whatever the other things are that you want to take into account, like the probability of them happening. Yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> but we might first ask, if we factor your choice into a, a judgment about how far to go, uh, sort of how, how long a shot to make, versus a judgment about which direction to push, mm -hmm. we might ask, which of these two decisions is more important? Mm -hmm. And it seems to me overwhelmingly likely that the direction is by far the most important issue. It's right. far more important to to be pushing in the right direction than it is to be making a good judgment about how far in that direction to shoot for. Um, so, so which one's most important uh, depends on some kind of assumptions about what, like, the yes, space indeed. of these. I mean, indeed. So, clearly, so like, clearly it makes a big difference whether you, you push not at all or quite a lot. Uh, and and if, if the different directions you can go in are um, are limited to the ones that seem plausible, then maybe how far to push makes a bigger difference. Uh, if which direction to push in is in, includes, like, should I try to, like, get, you know, Nazism going again, um, <laughs> then, then which direction to push in makes... Right, but, I, but, I, but I also just think that there's a very high dimensional space of directions you could push in, right. and there's, there's really a lot of variation in how promising they are. Yep. And when you think more, what often happens is you, you radically change your image of which directions or how promising. That's true. 
And so it just seems like there's just a lot of gains there. Whereas if I think about how much my opinions have changed about how far to shoot for, it's not clear that I've learned that much more about how far is ideal to shoot for right. than I've learned than, than I initially knew. Uh, so, so I mean, uh, if, if you choose a general kind of direction, um, like for instance, you, you decide you know, help starving children, um, then, then you could just think about how far to push just this kind of very simple trade-off and something between you know, probability and um, sure. something like that. But there's a lot more detail. You could look into like all the different ways you could go about helping. Right, right. and I'm, I have those in mind. Uh, sort of the direct, still directional. Oh, those types. are you're, that's you're still those all as direction. Right. Okay. So, so it's yeah, not just do I help children. That way, then yes, which direction? Is <laughs> overwhelmingly more important than how far you go. Right. I mean, okay. How far you go is going to be almost solved by the time you decide which direction to go. Okay. Good. Well. But you might argue that you're going to choose which direction to go in part based on which is going to be more promising in terms of how far you could go. Right. Um, it's not, that's not clear to me yet, though. Okay. So, so if you thought about, say, helping... Yeah, isn't it clear to you that that should be included at all? Or that that's, or that, that's a very big effect. Okay. So if you thought, you know, uh, I should help, you know, if you thought, well, starvation is important, I want to help people who are starving. So let's go find out where the people in the world are that are starving. Mm -hmm. And you might initially think, well, I could find a starving person and feed them, and, and that would be good. But that's just one person. That's not big enough. I want to let go. I want to help a million starving people all at once. Well, I can't go feeding people. That's not going to work. So now I'm going to go find somebody who says they're going to invent a new kind of food that's cheap to grow, and I'm going to fund them, because that's really the only way I can figure out how to save a million people all at once, right? Right. So it's not clear that that strategy is... Promising. Mm -hmm. That is, are the projects where you, somebody claimed they maybe they could feed a million people at once if only you, you gave them more research funding, are those in fact on average more effective or useful than right. picking a starving person and giving them food? Right. Yes, that's the question I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Then, um, but that's again, I'm offering that hypothetical in support of the claim that usually it'd be better just to pick the right direction on so the basis you, of sort of considerations other than how big a jump it might be. And then in the end, if some, if, if something, if the best approach ten, ends up being a high risk approach, fine, but I don't have much of a confidence that in fact, the best approach is a high risk approach. Well, in the, in the example you just gave, uh, perhaps you don't know which one is more likely to help it at what cost. Yes, so that's right. That, I, mean, that, I don't think that shows very convincingly that in general, it's, Really hard to guess which, um, well, how far you can go in a given direction. I mean, it suggests that in a typical case, typical case, it would be hard to judge. But but do you have a heuristic or an argument why going for long shots is on average a better win than short shots? Uh, no. I mean, so long we, shots. We're just talking about high. Uh, low probabilities of high gains. Or sorry. Right. So so if we think about you know. So here, we compose our question here as the, the choice between going for long shots, going for small chances of big gains, yep. uh, versus short shots, going for relatively high chances of smaller gains. Okay. And uh, among some people say, you know, I want to make a big difference. It seems like the operational way that's going to end up being cashed out is I'm going to be looking for long shots. Because mm. otherwise you just want to look for, I want to make the best difference I can, whatever size it is. I think often when people uh, 
say they're trying to make a big difference, they, they don't mean that they're going to uh, trade it off against the probability of it happening, they mean they're going to trade it off against things like it happening right in front of them so they can enjoy the feeling of seeing it happen and that sort of thing. Um, or they're going to do things that aren't necessarily as uh, applauded. Oh, okay, so that, that's a different concept that I've been talking in terms of here, so I apologize right. if I've, I've misled us or... or <laughs> oh, I... <laughs> But, so, so I'm the one who's misunderstanding <laughs> what's going on, but... Uh, okay, well, yeah, so but, we could at least separate them and give them different names. Okay. So, so some people are eager to have... In some, For some people, I think making a big difference does mean I want to be taking efforts which have a chance, at least, of having a big effect. Right. So they are looking for long shots. Yep. Uh, but as you're saying, there are other people for whom this phrase just means... I want to sincerely actually have an effect as opposed to having other purposes served about my actions. Right. So that sounds more like I want to really help as opposed to seem to help or, or, or be praised for helping or uh, whatever. Uh, included in it is like the, um, the implication that there are ways to help a lot more that other people aren't interested in because they're, because because of other, they're not trying to be Because of these other reasons. Right. Um, but yeah, we can keep talking about the, the, the No, no, I mean, well, I mean, but this one comes even more back to the motives question, which right. I was initially pointing to, and you said, well, we should set that aside. But this brings me back. If some people are saying, my motives really are pure, so oh, I'm going to be picking a different set of actions <laughs> than other people whose motives are impure. Yeah. And that's the big explanatory difference between why I want to do this particular thing and they, other people aren't interested. Right. So that seems actually rather arrogant in another sense of the term, <laughs> self-concept. Right. So, some people say most people who are appearing to help aren't actually interested in helping. Yep. And I think that, you know, my particular way to, I don't know, sell people tinfoil hats so the government can't read the brainwaves, whatever. Mm -hmm. My particular proposal mm -hmm. is being neglected by all the other charities. The other charities are neglecting my tinfoil hat proposal because not because of some technical reason of their calculating that my tinfoil hats are, are not actually going to work, but because they're all biased because they don't actually want to help anybody. They just want to seem conformist and ordinary. And I'm a courageous person willing to stand out in front of the crowd and say, yes, it sounds weird, but damn it, I want more tinfoil hats to save the, save the public from the government's brainwaves. Yeah. So what's your point? So, I mean, that's <laughs> often a cover for arrogance, right? I mean, so? it's, it's basically saying... Not admitting that people disagree with you on more substantive, reasonable grounds, and you're just going to dismiss them by saying, well, they don't really care like me. Well, I don't know if uh, that, that's the first point of dismissing <laughs> them. I think it's more like, after you've found that the charities they're donating to aren't really making a you know, noticeable difference at all or whatever, and they insist on donating to them anyway, <laughs> you have to say, well, why are they doing this? I don't know. Okay, well, but stepping back, <laughs> then now we've got a scenario where... Most people are donating or helping in a certain standard set of ways, and then there's a tail or outliers or contrarians yep. who have some rather different concepts of how help should be done. Right. And these contrarians are trying to explain them to themselves yeah. <laughs> why other people disagree with them, right. and they often reach for the explanation, well, only we really care. <laughs> <laughs> and all those other conventional charities, they're rejecting us because... Not because they have good reasons that we're wrong, but because they just really don't care. I mean, so this seems transparently self-serving to me as, as, a, as a rationale for other people disagreeing with you, right? I don't think that's the rationale that's usually used, actually. I think, 
I mean, mostly it seems, but we, we really care enough that we've like thought about this. The other people really care, but they just haven't like got around to noticing that they're doing it wrong. So, so, so you're a contrarian who people disagree with. How, how do you prefer to explain your contrarianism? Well, All the other I, 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 are as smart as you. <laughs> yeah, there's a distribution of of uh, random effects that produce different opinions. Uh, some of which, you know, people see different evidence and see uh, different arguments and uh, have different amounts of perceptiveness. Uh, when I'm a contrarian, it bothers me that I'm a contrarian. Uh, I, I will try not to be a contrarian usually, but I think some, sometimes. <laughs> I can tell you're really trying so hard. Sometimes I'm a contrarian, and uh, but I don't think I'm certainly not going to invoke the argument that I'm a contrarian on these things because I care more than other people. I'm going to say, well, I uh, think about it differently, and, and I happen to think that uh, they're thinking about it wrong. Just, uh, I happen to think they're thinking about it wrong, but okay, I'm not so going to attribute it to my moral virtue or. or wait, why is it attributing it to, to your thinking about it better? Uh, less arrogant than attributing it to different morals. Uh, because well, people are quite often trying to um, make themselves seem more moral by, you know, changing around the rest of their beliefs about the world. So people do seem more eager to be seen by others as more moral than they are to be seen by others as happening to be right about something. In fact, it's not actually. Wait, sorry, say that again. People are far more eager to paint themselves as being more moral than other people's than they are to paint themselves as being smarter, not smart. Smarter is more of an average over many things, but, okay. but just happening to be right about some particular so thing. Happening to be right <laughs> about something doesn't look so good, but right. So uh, when thinking I'm, about things better so that you're right about all these things and everyone else is wrong, that, that, that could, um, so I, I don't want to present myself, myself as somebody who <laughs> just reliably, no matter what the topic is, able to come up with contrarian views that are right where other people are wrong, I might more <laughs> rather... if people happen to get that opinion about you from observing me, then so be it. It's just too bad. I, 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 I'm not going to claim to be generically successfully contrarian right. I might claim... Uh, look, I focused on some very particular subjects where I've spent a large fraction of my career focusing on those subjects. Very few other people have studied them as much as I have. And then on those particular subjects, I might say, <laughs> even if my conclusion is contrarian, it should be taken seriously because it's on the basis of a lot of expertise and focus. That's different than saying that you just walk in the room with any random topic and, and, and I, I'll hear about the different sides. And if I pick a contrarian view, I'll be right because, well, I just can pick them. I know how to pick them, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. I agree. Um, but I think often uh, but when people claim that they they have a better idea of how to you know, make a big difference because they uh, thought about it more, maybe because they care more, that they're claiming that they have actually thought about it more than most people who are mostly doing something else. Okay, well, I, I would respect that more if they said, I don't think I care more than most people, but among the things you could care about, I decided to focus and think about this topic, and when I thought about it for a lot longer than most people, I happened to be forced into this contrarian view. I wasn't comfortable <laughs> initial with that, but I couldn't seem to escape it, and when I tried to persuade other people, I, I ran into all these puzzling inabilities of them to explain their views or me to explain it to them, and I'm, I'm discouraged by that, but I still seem to be stuck with this contrarian view, and I, I guess I will be still having to push it because it seems to me the right one. That seems I can respect that more by say, than saying, well, obviously, those other people don't really care, so that's why they're not listening to me, and I really care, so that's why I'm right, and they're wrong. Okay. Um, so in most discussions of efficient charity, I haven't really seen people, like, giving their uh, historical explanation of how they came to be right and everyone else came to be wrong. 
Um, so, so I don't know if it's a respectful one or not. Um, Okay, so so I've been pushing the conversation in a more meta direction than uh, you initially wanted to go. So maybe we should move back to more of the, <laughs> the, the what to actually do if you want to do. Well, so uh, you seem to have you know so some ideas of particular ways in which, if you actually wanted to have a bigger impact, not necessarily a long shot impact, just a, a larger net impact, even if it's a small impact, that there are particular systematically different things you should do than what people are actually doing. So would you like to review some of those? <laughs> sure. Um, I didn't really have a list in my well, mind. For three years would be enough, probably, to get us started. <laughs> okay. um, so I think one of them was uh, in relation to what we were just talking about, that, that you might think that, uh, for the most part, people prefer to uh, see good things happen in front of them so they can really feel that it's good. And so if you want to have a big impact, you should find a place you can't see? Yeah, but then you have to trade that off against the fact that uh, you if, if you can't see what's well, happening, but... you have less idea of what is going on. Um, but, okay. but if you can find a, find a place where you're relatively confident of what's happening, but um, but it doesn't make you feel really good to see it, then that's likely to be an neglected area, I think. Uh, so what, under under the ocean, maybe? Because I don't see much under the ocean, <laughs> and I don't care much about it, so that must be a place I could help a lot. Yeah, for instance. <laughs> is that how the mystic's going here? Anywhere that's really dark. Uh, Backside uh, of the moon, maybe? I don't see that ever, so... Uh, well, how about uh, the fifth dimension? I never see the fifth dimension, so maybe that would be a place I could do a lot of good. I think an uh, old area where this is brought up is just people in the future. It seems like no okay. one really feels anything very strongly about people who don't exist yet. Or, or, or okay. they feel less about it than people they can see now. Um, and you didn't ever see the people in the fifth dimension of the future. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the, the people in the fifth dimension are very underrepresented. Okay. And of course, all the hypothetical people who we will never actually see. Yeah. <laughs> Almost, you know. Yeah, I don't really know what we can do about them unless they have preferences. Well, some of them we can help by making them to exist so we don't see them. So or you said the people who would never exist. Well, most of the hypothetical people never right, exist, right. but I mean, some of them we could help. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree that helping people who, who could exist. Um, Okay. Exist, that's so, one place so, you could so this is an them. argument for using abstract considerations in choosing where to go. That is, because uh, things you would see and get an immediate sort of emotional and visceral impact on you are the things you're saying are misleading you by neglecting the things that don't give a visceral impact, but you, that you could abstractly calculate are there. Yes. I mean, I think the, the usual heuristic way of deciding... Uh, how to help other people and things is to just kind of follow your emotions, which mostly know what they're doing, but they, they have much stronger reactions to things they actually see and that are near them. So, um, okay, but but I mean, there's also that's a that's a systematic bias that applies to uh, near prompts, right. but there are other systematic biases that apply to far or abstract uh, prompts. Right. So we'll have to be wary but, but of those as well. <laughs> sure, but I don't think those systematic biases are that, that are kind of like. Um, match up and offset the near ones. Those are just different they don't biases. Exactly right. Like, okay. like, like with, with far things, we tend to uh, think that different things would be making the situation better than if it's in. Uh, so, in so, the so we've been talking. I mean, we're we're invoking near far mode. I don't think we did a podcast on that particularly. Maybe we will in the future. But uh, here, we're not going to explain it in a lot of detail. But we're referring to this concept that. Uh, there's a mental modes of a near mode, which has certain sort of systematic typical characteristics where you focus on more specific concrete things, uh, constraints on actions, and far mode where you focus more abstractly on uh, things, a smaller number of categories, simpler features of them, uh, having more basic goals and principles about them, uh, it's more idealistic. 
And so in far mode, you will tend to, for example, neglect practical constraints when you're thinking about uh, what you might do if, uh, to help something far away. You will just sort of focus well on the, the fundamental goals you have. Right. And you will neglect details in the sense you'll lump things into a small number of categories. Uh, they'll just be poor versus rich as opposed to deserving poor and people who are poor because they're drug addicts versus, you know, the, you will neglect all those details and you just focus on, can I help the poor? And you'll, you'll, you'll neglect all the practical constraints about how to actually get money to them so that it doesn't get stolen, et cetera. You'll just think, well, I'll just help them. And, you're, and you'll be more interested in, like, um, like idealistic kinds of goals, like right. equality and stuff. Equality and justice, et cetera, as opposed right. to somebody just being hungry. Right. So, uh, so, so since these two modes have biases that aren't exactly offset, so you might then say, well, we should have a mixture of doing some things that are prompted by near prompts where we try to avoid the near biases and some other things that are prompted by far abstract prompts that we try to avoid the far biases. But it's not obvious that on average we should just focus on far analyzed uh, charity right. plans. I mean, the, the main reason I'm saying we should focus more on far is that I think uh, all the other people out there who are doing charity are, are overly focused on near things. That isn't clear to me. It, it's a mixture of some near prompts that, that motivate it, but then some sort of far abstract concept of who, what the problem is and how it can be helped yeah, that are often you know, confused. <laughs> so, the, the, the worst of both worlds. <laughs> right. So it's fun to things that are near you. And, uh, right. So you see a picture of a, of a small child with a big belly from somewhere in Africa, yep. and you draw some inference about what the problem is and how to solve it, and you send a check off. To some organization that says they're going to do something based on some abstract concept and then, right. you know, doesn't necessarily help, both because you neglected other people you didn't see a picture of, but also because you neglected lots of the detail that matters about how it works and what the problem is. That was not, that was number one example of a right. <laughs> <laughs> the kind of thing you might do different if you really care. <laughs> as opposed to or wanting to seem to care. As much as most people wanted to put a little bit more effort into okay. to giving effectively or doing whatever you giving. Okay, so so two things then came out of that. One is uh, don't just look at problems in front of your face. Go searching out for where the big problems are. And another is that uh, don't too quickly believe simple abstract theories about the cause of problems and solutions uh, because your far mode mind is too tempted to uh, believe in those. When you're far away from a concrete example in front of you that you don't that you don't understand this really. Yeah. I think I said something else before. But, but I mean I think that does raise the point I mentioned before that it, it's a mistake to say I'm going to help the world, so therefore I shouldn't focus on people around me. You know, if you pass a car accident, maybe you should get out and help the people. Maybe that doesn't help children in Africa at the same ratio, but maybe you understand better how to deal with car accidents in front of you because yes, you have true. a visceral sense of what's going on and what might be useful. Right. And that can compensate a fair <laughs> bit for the yeah. fact that they aren't as poor as people in Africa and, and, and as in need, but at least you know what to do. It's true. Sure. Yeah. Economy of scale. Yes. Happen, <laughs> but also push in the opposite direction. So. Okay. So, so when might you take advantage of an economy of scale in, uh, if you really wanted to help, or were you willing to put a little more effort into really helping? 
Well, I, I just meant like there's a there's an organization or something somewhere else that you don't know so much about. But if, if you have reasonable evidence suggesting that they're efficient, um, it would make sense that they'd be more efficient than you, like helping one person at a time when you see that person ah. you know, with the sandwich you have on you or whatever. What would you like to talk about that subject at the moment? I mean, I'm not sure that's one of the points you wanted to make, but it's an interesting subject in how to help in terms of scale and diseconomy scales of, organi of organized help. Sure. Um, so, so around us we see firms um, or you know companies, and they range over a very wide range scale. And they're actually actually in a log sense they are uniformly distributed over all possible scales. And uh, they are disciplined at least by profit and loss in order to um, keep them honest about how to be effective. Yeah. And uh, given that level of discipline, which is modest because there's still a lot of relatively inefficient organizations out there, at least uh, we can see a full range of organizational sizes. So it doesn't mean that there's you know, obviously one optimal size. Um, and then there are charities of many different sizes. And uh, it's important to realize that all organizations, including charities, have both economies and diseconomies of scale. Right. And to be wary of both. <laughs> so uh, obviously, it, you know, if you were trying to send food to Africa, you, you might find it awkward to you know go to FedEx and take some cans and send them an address, and <laughs> there'd just be a lot of overhead in that process, and you might better. You would be pretty confident that some cans of food got to someone at that address. Right, you might just look up a random address for that matter and send them cans of food through FedEx, right? But at least it would get there. And, and organizations uh, can take advantage of scale economies. They could put all the cans into one big truck or maybe buy the food there and send the money first yep. instead of sending cans from here at all. Yep. But organizations have scale diseconomies largely of the form of it being hard to hold them accountable and get them to do what they're supposed to actually do, they might people running it might actually do something they personally want to do that's at odds with what their agents, those people paying for them, want them to do. So uh, many charities end up spending a large fraction, most of their money, uh, fundraising, for example, asking you for more money, rather than doing something with your money, because uh, that's how it makes them a large organization. That's a problem of keeping them accountable? Uh, right, because... Uh, because you don't want them to do that? Right. <laughs> and do you not want them to do that? I mean, it seems like to some extent you want them to raise more money. Surely. But no. Well, you might rather that instead of them, you know, pestering you often with ads in magazines and on TV, and every once in a while one of them got to you and you finally sent off a check, yeah. so that 85% of that went to spend on more ads <laughs> to you, yeah, that yeah. you just once <laughs> sent them a big check and then they didn't bother you about it anymore. Or you could choose whether to spend your donation on like helping the people or on more advertising, probably people would choose more helping the people than they would that then currently get spent. Right. So um, that's the nature that, you know, there's this charity space and organizations are exist in that and they grow randomly and they end up succeeding or failing based on feedback effects of how they get more money and they sort of get selected into existing as organizations that mostly spend money on fundraising. Not necessarily because any one person intended to do that, but because that's the nature of the selective process that chooses these organizations. But still, it's still a, a scale economy failure from your point of view. That uh, you might rather have sent the cans by FedEx because at least the cans get there and there's not a lot of fundraising going on. Wait, why is it a scale economy failure? I mean, are they, why are they more likely to do that if they're bigger? Well, because you think 
I, instead of sending my cans by FedEx, I will donate money to this bigger organization, okay, so not realizing that the bigger organization is spending most of this money on fundraising and the scale of right. gains they were, they were getting by sending one big pile of money is being lost by all the fundraising. Yes. But are you saying that this gets worse and worse as the organization gets bigger or just that this is a loss as soon as you don't send the cans yourself and then above that all the other organizations have this problem? To this I'm saying that this is an example of the kind of things that adds up to a net scale this economy. Okay. So, so this may have a threshold. Many kinds of scale economies are threshold effects, where you know below a certain scale they can't take advantage of the effect, and above the scale it kicks in. Right. But there are many sort of such effects with many different threshold sizes, and that adds up to a gradual increasing of problems that, as you get bigger and bigger. Right. But each problem may well have a simple threshold. I see. And simple, similarly with scale economies, you're giving the money. Maybe once, you know, there's an organization big enough that you can give it all. You know, give the money here. They can wire it to Africa. Somebody can go out and buy a, buy a pile of food and show up at a poor people's place and give them the food. Maybe by that point, you've used up all the scale economies, and there's not much point in having a bigger organization right. for that purpose, at least. Right. So, for a given, for an organization doing a given thing, is there also like a big range of sizes of organization? Um, I mean, like if you're quite specific about what the thing is. So, I'm more familiar with for-profit organizations and right, how they work. Them, for so in for-profit organizations, the sizes are often set more by the customers. So if we, if we pick a very particular product, right. typically there are only a few firms who sell that very particular product. Uh, most, you know, each firm has a relatively large share of the whole market, right. uh, largely because buyers uh, prefer, you know, to buy from a few firms who have a re steady reputation. Right. And so that says, from the point of view of having reputations with customers, uh, there tend to be scale economies, such right. that there's only a few suppliers of any one very specific product. But once we get to big categories of products, then it becomes a much wider range of firms selling. Okay, but I'm saying, for a particular thing, like say for, for dog food sellers, but, and you have a bunch of different firms there, and are they all roughly the same size as each other, but just over all the different things that firms do? do you right, that, that's what I'm saying. So, so, okay, right. so, so when we go to, say, very particular, like nationally advertised canned dog food, we yeah. get very specific, then we'll typically have a small number of firms of roughly the same size okay. doing that. Uh, but when we, but the net effect when we average over lots of different products is then firms are spread all the way over all the different sizes, mainly because the products are spread over all the different right, sizes. Right. So, I guess for a particular thing, there is kind of an optimal size. Right. Now for charities, uh, the optimal size may be more determined by sort of people and their, you know, different kind of things that touch them and ways to market to them rather than different ways to help somebody far away. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's too bad. Well, yeah, I don't know that, but that seems to the extent that charities are more driven by the customers that, that they are getting donations from than the people they're helping. That's what you would expect. Mm, what do you mean they're more driven by them? Driven by it matters more. In what they do? Whether they live or die, oh, whether okay, whether they crop grow or or shrink, hmm. uh, because because the people funding them can't really tell very well what's happening. Right. Yeah, okay. Yes. So you know, having an embarrassing like advertisement that like, pushes the wrong sexual orientation or race buttons is far more likely to kill a charity than you know passing out poisonous milk that kills a bunch of people far away. Because they're probably not <laughs> nobody's going to hear about that anyway. Hmm. Or they can blame it on somebody else, or et cetera. <laughs> so, wait, uh, 
Well, we were we were going to go over sort of if you wanted to make a difference, sort of some suggestions you might have, and one of them was you started out with uh, don't just focus on problems that are in your face, and then we got talking about the size of organizations. So I presume one thing is to say is there there can be scale and diseconomy scales of help, and you should pay attention to both of them. Right. Pay attention both to how you could join with other people to more cheaply do something that any particular thing you want to do, but also how you may have joined with too many people to do anything you're trying to do, and maybe it'd be better to unjoin yeah. and do something more by yourself. Yeah. I've written before that I think it's easy to overestimate how good raising awareness is about things. Uh, uh, yes. Generally, avoiding that is probably a way to be more effective. <laughs> Uh, so I, you could justify that on the heuristic that uh, if many people are trying to do things in order to be seen as helpful, right. as opposed to actually be helpful, then they will have a bias to doing, toward doing things that are seen <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> by other people. Raising awareness is seen. Right. So uh, on the margin, like avoid things that are too obviously trying to be seen. Mm. That would be another heuristic if you're actually trying to help rather than appear that you're trying to help, etc. No. is just uh, focus more. And see, and of course, that's a standard story people have about sort of being an anonymous donor rather than a visible donor, right? That they are trying to, like, take attention away from themselves and put more efforts into the project. Um, and, and another thing you can, you could focus on is perhaps kinds of problems that other people are not very sympathetic toward, but, but you are sympathetic to. Okay, so if you're focused on animals, you might think, well, fuzzy, cute animals are probably pretty well taken care of. You should focus on the snakes <laughs> really and the lizards and the things exactly. that other people are scared by. Or... Yeah. Insects. Right. Similarly, uh, if you want to uh, help poor people, maybe you should help focus on the poor people who are ugly and fat and rude. Old men. Old men. <laughs> right? And not very sympathetic yeah. uh, helpers. Um, It sounds like the sort of thing he would have had yep. um, that I might have seen, but I, I don't remember it specifically at the moment. Uh, well, uh, so, so we know some people who are focused on sort of very contrarian theories about how to help. Um, oh, yeah. do, do any of these uh, arguments sort of weigh in on that? For example, <laughs> or uh, you know, other forms of catastrophic risk, hmm. or uh, the possibility of I don't know, of inventing a new kind of cold fusion that <laughs> saves all the world's energy problems, or a new kind of drug that if that will make everybody super happy and peaceful if only we would invent it, or I guess. A lot of these things uh, are focusing on things that other people think are silly, so you might think that other people have uh, uh, not given enough attention to, to these problems just because they seem ridiculous. Depending on your theory of what causes something to seem silly. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so assuming that the reason people think things are silly are not uh, particularly well thought out. Uh, but also, these things mostly, uh, I think that's what was the first thing you said. Um, oh, th things that seem very distant that are hard for you to see or feel anything strongly about. Um, I, th I think it's hard for people to uh, feel strongly about the 
what happens after the singularity, so what exactly super intelligent AIs do after they become created. Um, I guess, although for each person who takes one of these apparently silly things and embraces it, they still tend to think most of the other ones are silly. Really? Like, you I know. guess, yeah. Okay. I mean, like, there's a lot. Of, I think there's a strong correlation between that they think the other things are much less silly than most other people think the other things are. Right. So, but but you know, most people think that worrying about uh, opening a passage to the underworld, such that the demons come out and come across the earth is a silly thing to worry about, and uh, people who worry about superintelligence probably still think that's silly. And, yep. uh, all, both of those think worrying about an alien invasion is silly, uh, and all three of them probably think each of the others is pretty silly. This is generally the case with like odd people. Most people are kind of normal in the middle, but then in the direction that people are going to be strange, they can be strange in lots of different directions, and they wouldn't necessarily have a lot more in common with each other than, they, than any of them do with people who are in the middle. Okay, well, if you happen to be convinced of some contrarian belief, then you should, of course, um, you know, embrace it and use <laughs> your comparative advantage in understanding that that contrarian belief is actually less silly than it seems yeah. to um, help out along that dimension. But before you've been persuaded of some contrarian belief, it doesn't seem like you should be especially encouraged to go look for contrarian beliefs and, like, reconsider them so that maybe you could be especially helpful as a, as in charity or, or to help the world, right? Does it? Um, well, I mean... Go reconsider the demons from the... <laughs> the passage to the D for the alien invasion. Would, would you it's, actually... It's, prefer not, it's not clear. I mean, uh, the, the things that everyone else is working on, it might seem like you, you can't make much of a difference at all, so it, it could be worthwhile to just, like, quickly look over, like, a lot of contrarian things and see if there are any promising ones to take a better look at. It could be, but... It, you might just generically say, review all your options, including strange-sounding ones, but sure. you shouldn't I mean, necessarily uh, I'm not give sure more that's attention a good to idea, them. But, but no, I'm saying maybe you should give more attention to them, just because if it turns out that, that they are useful, there's a lot more you could do since no one else is doing anything about them. Well, yeah, but presumably that's already been taken into account <laughs> by the fact that they're silly. Oh, I mean, no, it depends what you think other people are trying to do. Well, so, so I, I certainly think that one of, if you think, why do people believe silly things? And we accept that most apparently silly things are actually silly, yep. even if some of them are unfairly labeled silly. Let's still yep. you know, <laughs> call a spade a spade and say most silly sounding things are silly. Yep. One of the characteristic things about silly things that some people actually believe is they tend to be grandiose and have big potential. And one of the ways people allow themselves to believe silly things is because it's so nice to believe something so big and grand, right? So believing in fairies, if you think on pure objective evidence, you'd think, I haven't seen pretty much any evidence that there's anything like fairies ever. Why would I ever think that? But then you think, well, sure would be cool if there were fairies, and then I can have my own, and I know so many different things that other people would know, and you can feel that emotional sense, at least with children. They're attracted to believing in fairies because, well, if there were fairies, it would just be so cool that I would know about them, other people wouldn't. And that would just make me so powerful and special, right? Yeah. You can in general, if people believe things that are unusual, like, they probably have some motive for it. But uh, but what motive? That motive tends to push them in the direction of things that would have a bigger impact if sure, they were true. I don't think that's the only thing going on here. I mean, 
but it seems more like if you if you believe unusual things about very small things, they're not usually classed as particularly silly beliefs. No one really cares very much. Right, so people... If you think that every time a red car goes past, there are going to be another two red cars afterwards, people would say, that's not bad. Right, so so there are people who believe that strange thing, that, that there are never two car, red cars in a row, it's either one or three red cars in a row. <laughs> uh, there are people who believe strange things like that, and if somebody told you about it, you'd, you'd say that was strange, but you don't tend to get clubs of people who talk about that thing, or movies made out of that scenario, you don't tend to create a social momentum of people who believe in that on the basis of other people believing it. Well, in, in general, you don't get social momentums of people who, who believe or agree on anything that seems very small and arbitrary. Right, so so the point this is... is something you can really the, identify the, with. If we're going to talk about... When we talk about contrarian beliefs that our readers or listeners would be likely to have heard of, yeah. they will tend to be things for which some social momentum did build toward... Uh, it being a contrarian belief that some people verbally embrace uh, with a name that's familiar across many different contexts, you know, and those yes. will be things that tend to be big and grandiose. Okay. So one of the reasons you might you might expect that, you know, contrarian beliefs that are actually believed are grandiose, and therefore that's a reason to downgrade the likelihood that they are actually as grandiose and effective as people like to believe, right? Okay, sorry, what's the reason for downgrading the fact that there's a selection effect that they tend to believe in big grandiose things with big effects. So if you say, yes, but if it were true, it would make a big difference, therefore you should take it more seriously, that has to be balanced against the, yes, but the whole process that produces these beliefs are going to be producing beliefs that are about things that there can be a big effect about. So, um, yes, if there really were fairies who could change, you know, water into wine or whatever else, else it were, that, that would sure be cool and very powerful and effective, and you could do a lot of charity in the world with that, no doubt. Right. But the fact that people, t you know, if they're going to believe in any supernatural things, they'll tend to believe in supernatural things that could actually have a big effect, will tend to make you downgrade the likelihood of that being an effective charity strategy is to find out if there really are cherries, or fairies, right? Yep. I might say, yes, you should give a little thought to whether there really are fairies if you want to be an effective charity giver, because, hey, if there really were fairies, it would it can make your charity giving so much more effective, but you have to weigh that against the fact that people probably believe in charity, charity fairies being powerful, and partly because that's such an attractive idea. Think, uh, this is quite unlike the process in which people who have contrarian beliefs come to their contrarian beliefs, just like looking across all the random crazy beliefs they could have and checking them out. Even more often, they, they start off believing more uh, commonly accepted things and then kind of follow the implications further than most people do. Um, well, they're more likely going to fall into it through some social context that enhance right. the social momentum thing. You might meet a friend who believes in fairies and you think that's crazy sounding until they seem really enthusiastic and show you a book or two about it and bring you to a club about fairies and, and then maybe you'll, you know, take you on a fairy-looking event in late at night when you were tired and fuzzy-headed maybe you thought you saw something and then you're often believing in fairies. Uh, so that's that's how contrarian, contrarian beliefs often come socially, right? You think that's socially that people that you brought in through groups who other of other people who take it seriously, and then you take them seriously, and then you take the belief seriously. Every kind of belief <laughs> Right, but uh, in, in these, especially dramatically that way. Um, so more so than other beliefs, it's just that. Most commonly held beliefs you get socially very early on, so you don't remember it happening. Okay, so to review, we've been talking about uh, if you actually cared more than others, perhaps, or, or willing to put more effort into 
actually helping rather than appearing to help or feeling good about helping. Uh, we've been talking about should you be consider being more contrarian than you otherwise would have been. Uh, and maybe we can find, I don't really see a strong effect there. We might say that you should review you know, everything you know and reconsider everything you know to the extent you can. And, and that includes reconsidering contrarian things you think you you think are wrong, but maybe they aren't so wrong. But uh, beyond that, it doesn't seem to push you in a particularly contrary direction. You, you initially brought this up talking about um, the, the kind of contrarian beliefs that you think people we know have, um, that they think all cults of all, but um, various existential risks and most of artificial intelligence and things like that. Uh, and I, I don't think that mostly reach those beliefs by saying, well, how's a way that I could help the world a lot? Aha, that, if that crazy thing was true, then, then that would really help. It's, it seems to more often happen that, they, that they're originally reconsidering their beliefs for some other reason and and come to believe this thing and, that, and then later on think that, uh, that that has implications for how they could help the world. That's true. So, so it raises all the more interesting question, well, what's the relationship between that and people who especially want to help? Right. It would suggest there isn't a relationship that. Well, I think there, I think there is uh, a relationship um, which is to do with um, there's a blog post about well, like, it's called like, uh, smart sincere syndrome. Sin yes. Yeah, I think I think uh, both of them are at least among the, the people who I know uh, seem to be to do with um, taking uh, sort of trying to be consistent over a larger area of things than than is usual, uh, which both implies that. You should try to help people in unusual ways because you could help them more than usual. I mean, mostly people think, ah, oh, human lives are worth a huge amount. Really, we should help people a lot. Um, and they also believe that they should give like a couple of dollars to charity very occasionally, even though apparently okay. they can buy human lives for a lot less than they claim they're worth. Um, but they don't really mind about that very much because while well, they're inconsistent, inconsistencies don't really come up very much. So, so, so we agree, smart, sincere people. Uh, people who are unusually sincere about beliefs that they abstractly come to uh, will be more pushed toward doing a lot of helping because uh, they sincerely think they should, whereas other people are more hypocritical, uh, functionally hypocritical in that way, and these people are less functionally non-hypocritical. Right. But the question is why there should be a correlation with that and believing contrarian things. That is right. Well, as I was saying before, uh, often they believe contrarian things because they also followed out some inconsistency and. In, in resolved in a way that's unusual, whereas most people are happy to just believe in consistent things on a smaller scale. Well, um, so if we're saying that um, an especially common path to becoming a contrarian is to be especially consistent, yeah. uh, that seems an odd <laughs> claim uh, because, of course, um, usually you would think that uh, it would be some error in your reasoning that would lead you to become a contrarian if the contrarian positions are usually wrong. So uh, would be would this be some way in which uh, typically a a effort or a focus on consistently would magnify errors, making like what would otherwise be corrected it through. If you start off with a whole bunch of inconsistent beliefs, there, there are lots of different ways you can like resolve them into something consistent. Yeah, yes, and right. we do all typically start out with lots of inconsistent beliefs. Right, right. So I'm saying that see, seeing a lot of different directions of. Uh, Strange beliefs doesn't really suggest that it's not because of people trying to be more consistent. I, I don't know if in general that's what causes um, contrarian beliefs. It seems like amongst most of the contrarians who I know, 
Well, let me offer an alternative explanation, which is that many of the contrarian beliefs you're aware of rely especially on long chains of abstract reasoning. Yeah. And these smart, sincere people are especially seduced by long chains of abstract reasoning. Yes. That's how their consistently consistency expresses itself. Sorry, what's non-abstract reasoning? Oh, more concrete. We were talking about, you know, um, abstract might be that, you know, if a computer got better, that it could get even better, and therefore a computer will eventually get super big. Good. Yeah. That's more abstract than there's a computer in front of me, and it's pretty good, and what could it do? Yes. If, if you like, then then in that sense, reasoning is more abstract. But there are many kinds of inference that people do in practice that are less than fully abstract. So, so. Okay, you mean like reasoning from uh, from premises that are more concrete? Um, yes, of course. Okay. Right. So. Uh, yeah, I thought you meant the reasoning was more concrete somehow. Really so so m many people take some abstract principle like uh, Malthusian economics or, or biology or something, and then they project some abstract conclusion forward from that, and they draw some abstract conclusion about what the problem with the world might be, or the solution to the world might be, and then they go with that in drawing some conclusion about charity, and that's a that doesn't happen to people who just don't tend to go that far in terms of chains of abstract reasoning. Okay. They, they don't tend to think into those abstractions so much, and they don't tend to pursue them as far down that long chain. Yeah. And, you know, where any step in the chain could, mistake in the chain could lead you astray. Right. And there are some people who just are more inclined to take those long chains of abstract reasoning, in part presumably because they think they can handle them better, but in part because they just like it better. And then those right. people tend to produce contrary beliefs, and they also tend to sincerely think they should, like, if they believe they should help people, then they think what to actually do. They try to produce actions that would actually do it. Right. I don't think that's... Inconsistent with uh, my consistency explanation. I think uh, uh, when other people see these long chains of reasoning, they kind of stop somewhere in the middle and say, Yeah, I, I kind of in general believe in that kind of reasoning, but no, I'm just not going to accept the conclusion there, whatever. My, my beliefs are inconsistent, yeah, but that's okay because they're pretty abstract, so I don't care about them. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think it is, that is a kind of. Uh, caring more about consistency and saying, well, I believe in all these kinds of reasoning and they lead to there, so I guess I have to go there unless I can think of some other... Right. Uh, but the reliability with which they lead there could be overestimated, that is. Right. That's true. <laughs> right. You, you saw a chain of abstract argument that led to a conclusion, and you, if you feel obligated to accept that conclusion, you're making a judgment about not only how reliable each step in this inference was, but how many assumptions you made and how reliable those yeah, assumptions were true. and then how robust it would be to other different paths and things like that. Yep. Make the judgment of all those things in, in, in accepting the conclusion. Right. Other people's rejection can be thought of not so much as inconsistency as, as just distrust of long chains of reasoning or uh, you know making many assumptions, etc. Yep. Um, but I think the way that they see it themselves is as caring about inconsistency. I, I think that the people who, who like the long chains of reasoning see it as well. If I didn't do that, I'd be inconsistent. And I think. The others don't see it as well. I distrust long chains of reasoning. They just see it as well. I don't really care that much that, <laughs> that this chain of reasoning leads to this thing. Well, so can we think of the belief that I really want to have an impact and not just seem to help or feel good as a long chain of reasoning? Uh, Longer than usual? Uh, so or, or at least more abstract reasoning? 
some people just, you know, I see somebody suffering and I help them and I read about somebody suffering or needing help and I think maybe I'll help, but I don't like go through the whole calculation of, I'm a person who wants to do the most good I can and therefore I'm going to try to figure out what the best thing to do is and go through a calculation and reject options, compare options and come to a final right. calculation, figure out percentage of my income I'm willing to donate to it. And so that, that's sort of right. a whole okay. chain of abstract reasoning that most people don't go through. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think that that a long chain of reasoning is usually responsible for people uh, thinking that they, they care enough to put a lot of effort into uh, helping people. I think it's more that everyone starts off thinking that they want to help people a lot and also thinking lots of other things, like that they don't particularly like uh, spending their money on other people's well-being and that kind of thing. And then uh, people who are more obsessed with consistency notice this discrepancy and become upset by it more than the other people. So maybe another way to think about it is, is sort of a systematizing effect. Yeah. So. Some people say, you know, I want all my canned goods in my cabinet to be organized by order of something. Right. I don't want to just throw my cans up there and as soon as I need to find the beans, go through to see where the beans are. No, right. I, they need to be organized. And those same sort of people who need things to be organized <laughs> in their charity life, they say, I needed to have made a calculation that told me what the best charity would be. Yep. It's not enough just to have had a pile of charities that I've come across in the years and decided I like to throw some money at. I need to do a systematic calculation here. It would surprise me if a lot of that was not part of the appeal of it for at least some people who are interested. I don't know if it's... But it would be, I suppose, related to the smart sincere syndrome in the sense that sort of systematizers should probably be sort of more far thinking and therefore more tending to sort of believe their abstractions and, and use them and, and draw longer chains of yes. inference from them. But we can bring all this back and say, you know, among people who actually want to help more, there are some people who have this personality syndrome or, or pattern, mm -hmm. but it's not clear that those people actually do want to help more. Right. They are people who have told themselves they want to help more because that's the kind of mind they are and, and they still, think through still, things that way. I still don't understand why you're so obsessed with this point. Yes, sure, maybe they're wrong about what they want, but uh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it might make some difference to what kind of uh, suggestions we make to them about how they might do it, but not that much difference, and since we don't seem to have that great an idea of what they should do anyway, maybe we should just think about general things that people could do if they thought they wanted to help. Yeah. Well, but I think if you think you want to help more than most people, you probably wrong, and you should okay. think about that fact. Why? <laughs> maybe. Why? Why should you think about it? Because if, if you, you, you might decide you shouldn't help as much because you're wrong about thinking you want to help more than other people. Maybe if you help about as much as other people help you, actually is about what you want. So, say anyone who's listening to you is deciding whether to help other people or not, and you're saying it might be better for that person if they help other people less. Why, why do you care about that person's well-being more than you help more than you care about the people who they might help? It's not like you're going to make the world a better place by making people oh, realize so thought, that they really want so to do. I thought themselves. those were the ones listening. To me here. <laughs> <laughs> the other people aren't listening to this podcast, right? Sure, why, why, why do you care more about your listeners? Because they listen. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so why aren't you willing to trust them and what they, what they want? Well, uh, I mean, I, I think I'd rather just look at the whole proportion of people who are doing things and try to advise them on, you know, what, what are systematic mistakes people do in helping 
I'm, I'm less sure I want to be talking specifically to the people who think they want to do more than other people. I'd rather just talk to everybody who thinks they want to do. Okay, and cool. say, how, to, how could you do, <laughs> even if you want to do the ordinary amount in the ordinary way, still, what would be the best way to do that for you? Okay, sure. <laughs> how to do. Now, we've been uh, talking for an hour and 12 minutes now. Okay, it's about time to wrap up then. That's right. So we're right at the point where we could have told you what to actually do. We decided, well, maybe we'll next save that for another time. <laughs> the next time we'll tell you what to actually do. This time we got you in the mood for thinking about what you might want to do. And how to maybe think about it. Apparently it's much more, much more important for you to work out whether you really want to help anyone or not anyway. Yes, yeah, something like that. All right, well, thanks for listening, and until next time.